Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Some of you were around on Thursday night and I had spoken of that day when the full weight of the ascension fell upon me. I was talking about dawning on me that that sense of the fullness of this mystery. And I purported to be disclosing to you some of what that meant, but I confess I didn't give you all of it. So if you missed Thursday, you can still get up to speed today. In some ways, we were waiting for the gospel that we have here on this Sunday because it opens up the rest of this mystery. This is one of the most amazing moments that we have in Scripture. It's Jesus engaged in prayer. It's not just a holy man lifting up prayers to heaven. This is in a profound way something of that inner conversation, the inner dialogue within the Holy Trinity. This is the Son pouring out His heart to the Father. There are other occasions when Jesus prays and it's for the sake of those around Him. You think of Him at the grave of Lazarus. You know, Father, I know You always hear me. But I've said that for those who are are standing by, that they might know that You have sent me. But here it's Jesus just praying with the Father. And there's always a bit of a mystery as to how we get these words. Did he just launch into this prayer at the supper? It's kind of like what we get in Gethsemane. Was John the only one who heard it or did they all? The colleague who has spoken of a, a priest he's admired in prayer where he said that sometimes this priest praying in church would get gathered up in the prayer and he'd say, um, it's like he forgets that there's anybody else there that he's just praying to God and just gathered up in that dialogue. Well, that's what we've got here. Jesus praying, the Son pouring out His life to the Father. But He's doing it not in that heavenly language that is above words or too deep for words. He's articulating it in the human tongue. And I think about John at the beginning of his first epistle where he writes, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, we proclaim to you. Where John is saying that that which is the eternal word of God, we've actually encountered in the flesh. We've heard him speaking with our ears. We've, we've touched him. We've been with him. And it's something of that wonder again. Here is Jesus engaged in this prayer. But it's something that you might say no human being has ever participated in before this conversation. But what is he praying for? Well, he's praying about about the glory that he had with the Father from the beginning. He's praying about that unity, that integrity. Uh, to go back to that Hebrew word, achad, you know, this oneness that is at the very heart of who God is. He's praying about that. He's celebrating it, but he's praying not just about what he shares with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, but what he's praying his apostles would be gathered into. 
that they might also behold this glory, that they might be made one as we are one. And then there's the really stunning part of the whole, that he actually says that I pray not only for these, not only for these apostles who are present, but also for all of those who will believe because of their word. And if that doesn't hit you, he's praying for us. Because we are those who come to believe in the gospel through the testimony of the apostles. Yes, we need that personal encounter with the Lord himself, but theirs is the witness, theirs is the gospel that is passed on. And when Jesus says, not only for them, but also for all of those who will believe, in that moment that John takes in and records for us, Jesus is praying for us. And there's something stunning always about that part of things. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. To that end, he has given them of his glory, although the fullness of that has not yet come. You know, he'll say in the previous chapter in John, in John 16, he's talking about the coming of the Spirit. And he says that, well, that there's much more that, that you cannot bear now. There's more that I have to say to you, but you can't bear it now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he's the one who will lead you into all truth. And we always have in mind that the same meal Jesus has declared himself to be the way and the truth and the life. So there's nothing the Spirit is going to do but leads us more deeply into the mystery of who Jesus is. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's all in John 16, speaking of the coming of the Spirit. So we're reminded that this unity that he's talking about, this glory that he's talking about, is the glory of the fullness of the Trinity. It's that unity that is shared between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus prays that his apostles would come into that too. Not only for them, but also for us, that we might enter into that as well. And it's here really that I get to the other part for me. What had overwhelmed me, I was thinking last night, it's it's getting closer to 40 years ago than 35 even now, that I was going through all of this and just reflecting on the mystery of the ascension. That as Christ is raised up to be with the Father... He did not put off the manhood. He gathered it up into the fullness. This is the one who in his very essence is fully God and fully man. And as that human nature is made perfect and gathered up into heaven, it's gathered into an intimacy with the Godhead, into that oneness with God that is beyond our imagination. It's not just a place at God's right hand that the humanity sits. It's gathered up in what the ancient councils call that hypostatic union. And 
That's worth if it's not so clearly in your head in those early councils of the church. That language of how do we explain, how do we put into words what we understand of who this incarnate Son is. You know, He is fully God, He's fully man, and the two do not sit side by side or are independent, that they're, they're united in the one person. And just the idea of hypostatic union in the, the language of the councils. They talked about one Uzziah, one substance that is, is the divinity. There is one God. But there are the three persons. And the word they d- determined to use for that was hypostasis. Hypostasis. Um, which also means uh, substance, quite literally. But, but the choice of those words that you've got in the one person, in the one hypostasis, hypostasis, you've got the two full and perfect natures. That's the hypostatic union. For all eternity gathered up into God is that fullness of our humanity. As we are in Christ, as we are made perfect, as we are made complete by that grace of His Holy Spirit, reborn of Him, made new creatures, we're gathered up into that union. We're gathered up into the divine life of God. St. Peter in his second epistle, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. Now, the Eastern churches tend to talk a lot about theosis and deification, that idea of coming to share in the nature. I often get a little more antsy about the language sometimes. Uh, St. Augustine It's been quoted as saying that God became man in order that man might become God. And we always have to be careful that we not misunderstand the words. We don't become the center of worship. We don't become gods in that sense. But we do come to share in that full eternity of God. We become the full life that we were created for, which is sharing in that divine life, a union with God that is beyond imagination. It's sharing in His life, sharing in His love, sharing in His glory, which is the perfect fulfillment of His will, which is the heart of of heaven. I think about, again, St. John in his first epistle, Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We can't actually see him as he is until we are made like him. For me, the overwhelming sense all those years ago of the wonder that, you know, in the ascension, we're hearing about that mystery of our full humanity being gathered up, not just to be with God, but to be gathered in a profound sense into God into an intimacy that's beyond anything we can imagine here on earth. The closest that we get is there in that last book of the Bible. You know, it's what the marital union is to be, the full one flesh union. Part of the problem is that like everything else, like the temple, the, the priesthood, the sacrifice, 
all that we have here on earth is a, a shadow of the heavenly reality. The full one flesh union that, that marriage might be, the, the two that become one. Jesus himself, you know, they are no longer two, but one flesh is a divine mystery that we only fully realize in him. And to that end, we need the gift of his Holy Spirit. Again, go back into Romans 8 with Paul writing about this mystery of what the Spirit brings into our lives, the setting, the setting free, the enabling us to fulfill God's perfect law, to fulfill his perfect will, to cry out from us that Abba, Father, bearing witness that we are truly sons of God, sons and daughters of God. But always when we, when he talks about being sons of God, it's the likeness to the true son. Whether we're male or female, it's our likeness to him. But likewise, who enables us to pray when we don't know how to pray. But at the end of that chapter, he uses the words to describe his sense of just how complete that is. Words that we regularly use in a funeral, but really have that application to us now as we're growing up into this in Christ. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. St. Stephen first of Christian martyrs there as he gave his testimony to Christ, had that wonderful opportunity. As he looked up to heaven, we're told that he saw the glory and he saw Christ at the right hand of God. And he knew, he knew that mystery then. He knew it opened up before him. He knew there was the place prepared. He saw what was going on in his own life through that lens and it gave him that courage, that confidence to bear witness even in death. Not just to bear witness, but also to go to his end like Christ to the cross, committing his spirit into the Lord's hands, but also praying for the forgiveness of those who were executing him, to come into that heart of God. And in Christ's ascension, He established our eternal home with him and enables our ascension by the gift of his Holy Spirit, whom we anticipate and open ourselves to with much holy longing and prayer in Jesus. He gives us the gift of himself in this Holy Communion, in this Mass, in this Eucharist, that we might be brought more and more into that unity, into that oneness with him, into that life which is eternal. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, and power, henceforth and forevermore.